Hello, and welcome to Out in Space, the podcast for LGBT astronomers and allies. I am Vlad. I'm an assistant professor of astronomy at an MSU, and I am bisexual. I'm Cass. I'm a Winton Fellow in Theoretical Astrophysics and Exoplanets at the University of Leicester, and I'm gay. Uh, I'm Alex Ticci. I'm a graduate student at Columbia University, and I'm gay. I'm Jody Burtis. I am a graduate student at New Mexico State University, and I'm gay. Thank you, John. Yeah, this is the uh, the first out uh, in space that I do. So thanks for being the the guest. Sure. So um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Moki, Mochi, Mokehi, Mokehi. So John Mokehi is uh, director of Carnegie Observatory in Pasadena. Uh, he works on galaxy groups in the universe, including the Milky Way, and. Um, you know, uh, we are going to ask you actually to explain more. So, just giving a brief introduction. His work done X-ray emission, intergroup median using space-based and uh, ground-based um, um, observations. PhDs from '94, University of Maryland, and he's also been the editor of APJ, or was, from 2005 to 2011. So, um, pretty heavyweight here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realized that my bio's a little out of date. That was probably all written in uh, 2010 or something. I probably There's need more that. stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all true, though. Everything you said is true. <laughs> right. So, I was wondering, can you tell us more about what, what you do? Sure. Uh, you want, so, you want me to start with the science, probably? So, uh, I mean, honestly, these days, I don't get to do much science myself uh, because, you know, I, I direct a major observatory, so that takes up most of my time. Um, I do still supervise some postdocs and graduate students that do most of the work, so <laughs> I do a little bit. Um, so uh, when I was a graduate student back in Maryland in the early 90s, uh, actually my thesis was actually on black holes, um, AGN and black holes, uh, but I had a little side project um, which was uh, to look at uh, groups of galaxies. Uh, at that time, we didn't really know if groups of galaxies had a hot medium, like we know clusters of galaxies have, like the intercluster medium. And so I wrote this proposal uh, to the ROSAT mission, which was the, the X-ray mission at the time. And um, it was very poorly ranked. It got a C. They used to rank their, their proposals A, B, and C. And if you were A, you got your time. B, you probably got your time. And C, you'd have to get lucky. So um, in 1990. Three, I got really lucky, and my C-ranked proposal actually got an observation, and we discovered X-ray gas in, in a group. And this was really the first time anybody had seen that. Um, it, in retrospect, it seems like, yeah, we should have known that, but at the time, we didn't. <laughs> Science works. Um, and it's a pretty sub substantial amount of X-ray gas there, which really, for the first time, allowed us to, you can use the hot gas to estimate the mass of the system using hydrostatic equilibrium. And when you do that, you, fig you find that there's a lot of dark matter there, which, once again, seems not very surprising in 2019, but in 1993, it was a big deal. <clears throat> so um, this was my side project. I wrote a little paper on it in 1993, and it got a lot of press. In fact, the AAS picked it up as their big, uh, uh, their, their January meeting uh, in early 94, picked it up as their um, kind of big science result. And so it was all over the place, made the front page of New York Times. It was a big deal at the time. And I was kind of, my career kind of got launched and sent me off in a very different direction than what my thesis actually was. So um, at that same at that same meeting, I happened to be interviewing for jobs, which is very good timing. Science is all about timing <laughs> sometimes. And uh, from there, I uh, 
I interviewed for the Carnegie Fellowship, um, which was quite interesting because when I wrote my application, I figured, I mean, I was mostly an X-ray astronomer <clears throat> and it is an optical observatory. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, they're never going to hire me. Um, and so uh, I spent like five minutes writing my application, but I got an interview anyways. And then the interview went so well um, that they offered me a job, which was really quite shocking to me. Um, and 25 years later, here I am, still at Carnegie. <laughs> I actually had hoped to go to the University of Hawaii. Um, that was my plan. But the interview with Carnegie went so well that it really changed, changed my mind. And then I ended up here. And, um, and then I continued to work on groups as a postdoc at Carnegie. And then I got promoted to being a staff member at Carnegie in 1999. And then an associate director. And then interim director when Wendy Friedman stepped down. And then I became director about four years ago. So yeah, I've been crazy 25 years. I just had my big 25 year party uh, a couple weeks ago. Amazing. Amazing. Congratulations. Yes. There's a video. You don't want to find, I won't tell you what the video is. <laughs> my employees made a video, which was very sweet. Oh, very <laughs> very nice. touching. Yes. So. Cool. You can find that in the link yeah. in the show notes at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You might be able to yeah. find it. <laughs> it's just on YouTube. I have a lot. So, Somebody will know. I was going to ask you what your trajectory was and what got you interested and where have you been, but I think you've covered that so well that I think we can just probably go on to the next question. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so moving on to sort of more, uh, you know, of the LGBT side, more of the outside of out in space, uh, yeah. sort of in your opinion, uh, can you kind of tell us what you think are the, are the main problems that gay astronomers face in the field? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I've been out for quite a long time. <laughs> Most of you probably were not born um, since well, I was out in 92. So it's been a while. Um, I was born. Yeah, see, there yeah. you go. Like, I'm <laughs> that a lot of you uh, were born around that time. Um, yeah. And because I know because my own postdocs now are that age, right? And so, you know, it was a very different world in 1992. Uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres was still straight at that point. I mean, there was really... <laughs> It's quite actually interesting. I, I had the newspaper. I, I mentioned that I had this big science result, and I was on the front page of a lot of papers. Well, I was a student at that point. I was actually finishing my thesis at, at uh, Up at Space Telescope in Baltimore. So I have this uh, copy of the newspaper, the Baltimore Sun from that day, which has my story. My face is actually on the front of the Baltimore Sun. And then the article there is Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so this was actually – that was that gives you an idea of what's happening in that article right when I'm having this big thing – that's the world we were living in. And that was considered a lot of progress. I and mean, it really obviously was not <laughs> progress, but you know, that's what the world was like then. So, you know, for me, I've been out so long and I'm, you know, I'm the boss now at my place. So I don't, uh, there's only one person in the institution that's higher ranked than me. So I don't, I don't think I have the pressures that a young person has. I think you, I think you're very right because I think it can take, you know, a lot of bravery and sometimes people think it's foolhardiness right to, to be Absolutely. to be out and, and you know a, a senior member of staff at University of Leicester told me not to out myself for uh, an interview for a fellowship that I went to and I just you know I told him if they don't want to give it to me because I'm gay then I don't want it um and I did I mentioned I mentioned my wife in the interview and I still got the fellowship right it wasn't a problem but at the same time you know I had at the time the security of, well, I still had three years left on my contract. I still had this, I still had that. So, you know, your line, the line that you're not prepared to cross moves depending on your circumstance. Right. I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is something I think just hasn't really changed because, you know, coming out and, and being open about it is a very difficult process for all of us. 
it happened to different, you know, I was 25 when I came out, which at the time was actually not that unheard of. So these days, that can be, can be late, but I know individuals older than that that haven't come out. So you have to be comfortable with it, but it does definitely impact your ability there. Sorry, somebody was going to say something. Oh, yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's just, uh, I think exactly what Cass was saying was uh, right on that we, at this point, I think we're getting more comfortable with this idea that we, that, uh, you know, I don't want to be at a place that is not going to be accepting for me, which is, you know, before you, I think we would have, many of us in the community might have hidden it a little more and said, and even still, I mean, I've got, uh, I've already listed this podcast on my, on my resume is something that I'm, I'm uh, working on from the outreach standpoint, but I have left it off of uh, resumes that I've sent to certain places. I'm, I'm applying to postdocs just because I, I kind of know uh, that it might be uh, more of a problem in those, in those places. So. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of who I am by any means, but uh, I'm still making those kind of choices in order to further my career. And, you know, it's, it's still a choice that we face from time to time. You're not ashamed of who you are, but you're not naive either. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be like sort of a, a balance there about, you know, you don't, you definitely don't want to work somewhere that isn't going to be very accepting, but you also need to get paid. You need a job. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting. Even, uh, you know, I, I run my organization. I have one person I report to, which is the president of the, our larger institution. And he's new. He's only been there about 18 months. And so, I, you know, when I met him, I never I've never said I'm gay. Um, it's not surprising he found out. And it was <laughs> interesting. And I, and I don't care that he found out. But, you know, it's the sort of thing. Do you have that conversation or not? Uh, because just six months before he showed up, I had a conversation with the COO of our company who asked me, um, you know, if I was married. And I said, I said, um, I was, cause I was married at that time. And he, and he was just like, well, what does your wife do? And I'm like, Oh, you know, there's that awkward conversation we always have to have. Right. <clears throat> that guy happens to be a hardcore Republican Trump supporter. Actually, I know this. Um, and so that was a little weird, even for me after being out 27 years or something, I don't know. Um, it, it's still awkward. Right. Um, the interesting thing is my boss, however, found out probably from somebody that I was gay and he has tried to work it into the conversation so that I knew that he knew. And so I mentioned I was going to Provincetown about eight months ago. And he's just like, oh, I hope you meet a man there. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. I'm not sure I want to get that into this conversation with my boss. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think the thing is, even at all levels, even though, as I said, I'm, I'm at this point, my career is pretty established and I don't, shouldn't really have to worry about anything. It's still a little awkward to talk about it. Right. Mm. John, I wonder if you could speak a little to where you came from before your background. And uh, and then, you know, something that I think about a lot is as a single gay man, uh, where am I going to land? You know, you can't just go anywhere yeah. in the world that's going to suit us. And I think uh, Pasadena or L.A. is, you know, a better place than most. But, you know, did you, were you ever worried about that uh, ge geography? Not so much their institution. Yeah. Where you're gonna a, a, absolutely. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So clearly that's a place where it's fine to be kind of gay, uh, even though I also grew up in a very Catholic family. So it wasn't very accepted at home. That said, my mom recognized that I was gay very early on and started having these talks with me when I was like 10 and 11. I had no idea what she was talking about, of course, but, you know, it's okay to be different. It's okay. Uh, and it turns out that I had an aunt who was a lesbian, and I just didn't know this. Um, and so my mom was very hyper aware of it, and she saw that I was gay, and so she supported me in that way. But I have always been in big cities. I lived, you know, I lived, I went to University of Maryland, so I was outside of Washington. 
But even then I was kind of out, uh, kind of not out really. It wasn't until I moved to Baltimore that I came out and it's an interesting town. I think it's better now than it was, but it was still a, a town in the nineties where people would, there was hate crime, a lot of hate crime. Um, but then when I came to Pasadena, clearly at that point I was fully out. And obviously this is a town where it's much easier to, to be gay in Southern California. And I, I was dating somebody pretty seriously at the time. And so when I applied for faculty jobs, I really restricted myself to Southern California. Uh, I was lucky. I had three offers, one of which was Carnegie. So that, but of course, doesn't always happen. And right. so, in fact, um, one of one of the, the the younger gay men I mentioned who is out is having this struggle now because he's in a place that is not so friendly. Um, and it's a place where he feels he can't long term stay uh, right. and, ha- and have a life. And so that's really, really important. And, you know, what I always tell people is you need to make decisions, whatever, you know, what will make you happiest? And that is different for different people. For some people that maybe your job is the most important thing and you just have to have that. But I often it isn't. And I see people often make decisions for their jobs that I would not, I would take a lesser, a lesser job. And I hate to use that term, but uh, maybe a job that's not quite as exciting to you or as prestigious as, in some sense for a more balanced home life. Um, you're not going to be happy working all the time. Yeah. So, you know, this is advice I give all young people that uh, pass through Carnegie. And it, it's hard because we all want to, you know, it, you put a lot, you get a PhD, you put a lot of work to get this far. You really want to do well. Yeah. Just follow, following up on that, do you think you might have even left Astro if you had no, oh, yeah. um, you said you were very fortunate to land in, a, in Southern Cal, but if you would, you know, yes. if you had to take a job, your it, only option was a place like that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I was a born astronomer. I, I, I like to say I, I mean, I was into astronomy when I was like five and I was pretty hardcore. Uh, I built a telescope. For, I'm ground in the mirror when I was 12. I was really, really hardcore astronomer. And so I think um, it would be hard for me to imagine not being an astronomer. Um, but my guess is I, if got to it, I probably would have. And I, this is another difference. I'd say in 90, 1999, there were very few options. I mean, or at least we didn't hear about options, right? It was you, you have to be a, you know, a faculty member at Caltech or Princeton or you're a failure. You know, that was kind of the world. And I think today we know that that's not the case. And I always tell, you know, many of our best people um, go after they finish their PhD and a postdoc decide that they want to go work in industry to be happy. And, and I think that that's great. There's a lot of opportunities for us. And so um, I, I feel that that stigma is less than it's certainly less than it was 20 years ago. Uh, so today I would tell people, well, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and work for Google and make 400 K a year. You'll be quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and using your brain, using your brain in a different yeah. way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you, you talk a lot about how things are sort of different over, you know, during the time scale of, you, you know, you're right. The landscape has been completely different now than what it was uh, sort of 20 years ago. So I guess one of the questions that kind of, well, when I asked him that, would you say that has being a sexual minority kind of impacted your career in any way? Yeah, it's, an inter- it's a very, very interesting question. Um, I have always kind of kept my personal life and my career very separate. And I feel when I was a graduate student, because I was so in the closet, that all I did was work. I mean, I worked like an insane amount. I worked much harder than all the other graduate students. It probably helped me, you know, in a kind of, it's kind of sad. I lost a lot of my 20s, um, not, you know, dating and meeting people and doing all that. So that, you know, that was kind of what the situation was. But I really kind of always kept them very separate. And over time, they've kind of creeped closer together. And now I'm obviously fine with uh, it, them kind of being out in the world. 
I, I don't know what impact it's actually had. Um, I, I thought about this when I saw earlier when I saw the list of questions because I was like, hmm, you know, has it, has it really mattered in some way or another? I, I don't know. Um, I think I just, uh, I don't actually know. It's weird. Like, I don't feel it's been a huge negative. Let me start there. Um, but I don't know if it's also been a positive in some ways. I don't actually know. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's hard to know, right? Because you can only live your life in one way. Either right. like, you know, you kind of, you're out or you're not and, and you can't go back and do it again. So you can't see what the difference is. So it's not That's surprising right. that a lot of people don't say things to your face. Obviously, if people saying things to your face, then yes, of course, it's easy to understand that it's having an impact. But if nobody ever says anything to your face, how do you know? Mm-hmm. I'll say it's interesting because I mentioned earlier the CEO of Carnegie, I, he's going to kill me, um, you, you know, who is a Republican. Um, it's really quite interesting. Um, he's a Navy guy who, you know, I completely understand. We get along in a brilliant way. And I think him experiencing me uh, as a colleague has been very valuable. He's, I'm probably one of his favorite people in the institution. And, and I think that that's good because I think it's opened his mind as, as always, when you're exposed to people, you know, what he has, I'm sure he had no gay friends. <laughs> and I think now he feels he has somebody he, he likes who happens to be gay. And so that's a very positive thing. Um, I'd say for me, one thing I'm really blessed with, and this is a little weird, is I think I have a, I have a very good personality, an outgoing personality, and I'm very, very tolerant of, of differences because I feel that there's good in everybody and, I, and I'm willing to work with that to make that happen. And that's actually how I've ended up being director. It has very little to do with my science. I mean, I, my science got me going clearly, but I think it's my personal skills that actually are most important today. Um, and, and that in some sense may have to do with me being gay. I don't, I don't know if it does, but I think I'm much more outgoing than, than a lot of people. I don't think it's a surprise when pe- people, a lot of people guess I'm gay right away. A lot don't. Obviously, when people are asking me about if I have a wife, um, but um, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, that was a weird tangent. That's interesting. But but I but you know, I, in my job, what I spend most of my time doing now is talking a lot. <laughs> my days, I talk to people. I you know, I spend a lot of time talking to our young people, mentoring people. I spend a lot of time fundraising. So Pasadena is a is in California, so it's a pretty liberal town for the most part. But there are many many Republicans. Um, and a lot of them give me money and, you know, I have to be willing to sometimes buy my tongue, but in, in those cases, they all know that I'm gay. I'm not, it's not a secret. And, and I hope in some way I'm inching them towards understanding a better understanding of, of, uh, those of us that aren't the majority. So, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, the area that you're living in is, is, is pretty liberal, which is, which is great, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if you have ever experienced, you know, uh, any type of homophobia from from your peers, from your advisors, maybe even from your from your students, uh, you know, I don't know of any. I can't think of any cases directly where, it, uh, at least in the work environment, um, it's interesting. My pre- the boss, who, the the gentleman who hired me, uh, was uh, once again he's a pretty hardcore Republican. Uh, he was the only one in the building, and it was quite a joke at Pasadena. We were all tease him. Um, and this was in the George Bush day, so we were all kind of uh, pretty depressed about that. Um, and then, uh, but he, but he hired me still, and we get along great. And so somehow, I feel like it hasn't impacted me in that sense. It'd be interesting. Like I don't know. I should think about. You know, I give. I spend a lot of my time giving talks to big crowds. I go to a lot of private clubs, which is a very interesting environment. 
Um, I had been in, I had one time where it was very uncomfortable, I'll say for me to be, I gave a talk to um, a gentleman's club and it was literally just men, a men's club in, uh, in Pasadena that um, the conversations got very inappropriate. Um, there were jokes, uh, a lot of anti-trans jokes. Um, and, and I found that that was very, very awkward for me. So that was a case where I felt uh, this isn't right, but what do I do? I'm the guest speaker, mm-hmm. say something, I, and I bit my tongue, and sometimes I feel like maybe I shouldn't have, but I don't know how, I hadn't given my talk yet, so that would have been pretty weird and awkward. But it was very uncomfortable, and I, and I just will never go back to that club again. Were you worried uh, that, that voicing your opinion may have kind of compromised how they felt about how, you? How they felt about me and my institution because I right. was representing my institution. So I guess that's a case where I would say, and this wasn't that long. This was like two years ago. Um, and you know, for the most part, I often, I often say I always I always tell a lot of my women friends that there should never be a men only club because they say things when you get them together. Um, it's not true of all. I I give talks to lots of men men's only and women's only clubs, and usually they're very private. But this was a case where I just felt like they really needed. They, what they were saying was just really inappropriate and wrong. Similarly, we uh, just have a second thing. We've had um, we've put up gender neutral uh, restrooms at Carnegie. This is something you know. So we put the plaques on the door and everything, and that was surprising how controversial that was for a lot of outside visitors. Hmm. And people have have voiced that to me, and I just said, "Well, you're just obviously not living in 2019." Hmm. And so that I will say, I'll just say, this is just this is the world we live in, and this, and you better get used to it. But um, so, you know, I don't know how, how much those experiences really directly impacted me and my career are very small, I'd say, but it shows you that even in a town like Pasadena, that still goes on. Mm-hmm. Gender neutral bathrooms are even the law now in California, are they not? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It, you know, that doesn't mean, uh, they had I mean, never, it's clearly still they, controversial, but, uh, well, they had never seen the signs. That's all it was. <laughs> they had just never seen the sign that said mm-hmm. gender neutral bath. I mean, I'm kind of like, really get over it. It's like, uh, right. you know. So, yeah. <laughs> John, how does one get invited to give a talk in a gentleman's club? Uh, really good question. I give lots of talks around town, and the purpose of those talks is to try to meet rich people to give us money. Um, and it's very clear that's the path, and it, and it works. It's pretty effective. That's, you know, you have to pee people. And so what happens is I give one talk. I, I'm on a talk circuit. I give almost a talk a week now in a private club in Southern California or even in, in D.C. quite frequently I'm there. And once you give one, if you're a good speaker, you tend to get reinvited. And so I'm just on that circuit, and and I and I give a very good talk, and so people like that, and it's great. And it's astronomy. Who doesn't want to hear about the universe? You know, usually they hear boring stuff. So I know something interesting. Right. Yeah. Fundraising. It's all fundraising. More than half my job is fundraising these days, and that's true of a director or a head of you know. My job is very similar to a dean in a university. I'd say, because um, that's what a dean in university spends most of their time doing. Uh, but um, going back quickly to the question that, that Cass asked about, you know, like if, if being a, a, a minority has had any impact, um, one thing that you mentioned earlier is that um, we tend to limit ourselves, right, to liberal places, to big cities, um, where we feel that our community is going to be there and we're going to have... A, a network. So isn't that itself limiting? I mean, there are several, you know, um, uh, very good institutions and uh, universities 
um, in less less liberal places, right? In red uh, uh, states, even so. Um, I mean, so in in a way, we are limiting our our poll, right, of places where we we would like to do our work because of the uh, the location that. Uh, not only that we would rather be, but a location that um, would be welcome. I mean, where we would feel welcome. And uh, recently, uh, I mean, I myself, I moved from LA now to a city of a hundred times less people, right? So two orders of of magnitude less. That's something that, uh, you know, it's in the back of my mind how the adjustment here will be. Um, So, don't you think that that's the way then that we limit our ourselves? And plus, um, it's also said that actually these are the places where we can make more of a, a difference, right? I mean, let's say that if you want to change things, right, move to a, a purple uh, state, right? Um, but then on the other hand, it's a balance between our life and the impact that we can do. So can you comment more on, on this? That's a really interesting point. I mean, I guess, you know, I only, I mean, when I was applying for permanent jobs, I really was in this relationship with somebody who was in, very involved in Hollywood and um, movie industry. So I really had no choice if I was going to stay with him, but to remain in LA or the area. But I, the prior year I had applied more broadly and I did limit myself to blue states um, I've only lived in cities always. I've never lived in a small, the smallest town I lived in was Baltimore, which is more that small a town, right? And so, um, it's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it. You, you're probably right. We are probably limited. It probably is a limiting factor for us. Uh, you know, and then the question is, you know, are you, are you willing to take one for the team, so to speak, and, you know, live in a place where you're going to be unhappy? Uh, you know, for, um, one of the younger gentlemen I mentioned who is is out, you know, I mean, he's having a problem in a small place now. And it's difficult if you have no, if there's not a big pool for him to meet people and, and various things of that sort. And, and I think that that's pretty valuable. So, you know, in his case, I'm going to tell him, if you can get a job at a place where you, you know, you'll have more of a community, you should do that. So the question is, what do we do for our, our colleagues that are in these smaller places? Maybe that's the bigger issue. Um, and, and I don't know. I don't know if we've done anything to reach out to find out what what is happening for um, folks from the community in those smaller universities and small towns. I don't know the answer. There must be there, right? We're everywhere, so that's not the right. issue. You know. I mean, yeah. I feel like we we are able to provide some kind of community, uh, you know, through either these sort of virtual settings or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they clearly know that the gay astronomers are out there and I think it's right. important to kind of be visible, but you know, you, there's no getting around the demographics of the, these small towns. And I've actually been saying for a while that, you know, the big cities are really kind of a vacuum. It's not just that there's more people, but they're really kind of sucking up, uh, people from the community, from these, uh, you know, people escape these small towns and then go to the big cities. So, so we're really kind of overrepresented in the large cities and sort of underrepresented uh, in these in these smaller places. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it would be very tough for me. I can say that much. Yeah. So the guy, you know, it's it's interesting. One reason I agreed to do this podcast. This is it's pretty remarkable. I mean, if you went back and told me 25 years ago I'd be doing a podcast on this topic, I would have said, "There's no way ever." <laughs> uh, that was the world the way the world was back in 1993 or 94 and so the fact that one reason i agreed to do this was simply because i do think it's important that people see that you can um 
be a member of this community and be successful in your career. Um, I realized it was interesting. So I just added myself maybe eight months ago to the astronomer list, which is probably how this all happened, right? Um, because I just, I hadn't done it. I knew about it. I just, it just never occurred to me that there was any value for me adding my name to that. But there's huge value to adding my name to that. Um, I looked at that list and went, well, they should see people who were actually in leadership positions in the field, right? I mean, uh, being gay has not impacted me in a real negative way. Clearly, I, I've gotten an amazing job. I have Edwin Hubble's old office, for God's sake. I mean, when you think about that, that's just how impressive is that? I mean, it's, you know, and so I think with you need examples like that. Otherwise, people aren't going to be comfortable uh, pursuing these careers. And so, um, so that's one reason, that's why I agreed to do this. That's why I added my name to that list. Um, cause I realized that even though it's known that I'm gay and many people know I'm gay, it's not a secret. Um, I hadn't really used that in a way to give back to the community. So here I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it goes. I think right. it's important to do it. It just, it just it had not occurred to me that I should be doing this, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, if you have, if you have the privilege to be visible, then it's definitely a big. Uh, That's right. It's a big help. I think you know. I try to be as visible as possible. You know, on Twitter, for example. I think it's. I think it's important to just show that we're out here to the extent that we are able to. Mm-hmm. And fly the flag. True. Right. Yeah. Um, so in uh, this uh, last few minutes that we have left, um, yeah. Just so you know, we don't. We, yeah, uh, we're not going to get cut off. Looks like. Oh, the, the, all right. I think we're yeah. going to. We're fine to go past the forty minutes, but I know we're running long. I was just, yeah, glad. Yeah, I don't know if you had concluding remarks. I just wondered if you had any sort of John uh, kind of thoughts about uh, specific advice for for younger astronomers coming up. I think maybe you've touched on these things before, but but if there's anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that it's important to try to find people um, who to communicate with, and you know, I said, you know, these these two young gentlemen have found me now in terms of somebody to, that they can mentor and they can ask me questions that they certainly can't ask anybody else. And and I do think there are more resources out there. Um, you know, when I when I was first coming out, there was the AAS had nothing. There was no gay. There was no gay community at all. And now there there are communities. There are things like this. This is just really great. And then you should reach out and try to find colleagues. I mean, I know events go on at the AAS meeting and various other places where you really can meet um, other people. I mean, I, you know, I, I just think the thing is, is people sometimes need, uh, you need somebody to talk to who's, who's been through your experience. And that's, that's why we're, and we should be here for that. So. Yeah, I think it's invaluable. I think it's also great for, you know, young astronomers to see successful LGBT astronomers in the field and know that, you know, that is attainable. You know, I, you know young astronomers can in fact, uh, go on to be incredibly successful and out. And it's, it's really great to see that and, and know that that's on the horizon. Yeah. That's right. And that's, again, why I agreed to do this, because I think it's important. And so, uh, you know, I, I need to do more, I know. Um, and there are probably more of us. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, it's interesting, you know, but um, it is important that people see those examples. Cool. If we have more time, I would like to then um, ask one extra <laughs> question. Well, I would like to touch the point of stereotypes. So, um, you know, um, it's there is a, a stereotype, right, of the, uh, the gay person. And um, I, w- I wonder if that translates into what is seen as a 
a deficit that we see in in science, right? The the stereotype out there is that the the, the LGBT person is more like a, a media and uh, and arts person. I myself I seen that too. I mean, like uh, when I was living in in New York, uh, I had uh, 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 roommates who who are gay. And once you know, I mean, like the the, the um, some of the few times that we went out as a a, a group, um, you know, like my roommate would would introduce me. Hey, yeah, this is Vlad, my my roommate, and he's not the typical gay guy. I was like, all right, okay, where did <laughs> where did yeah, like uh, where did, did that uh, that comment uh, come from, right? And then what they were mean is that yeah, I mean, like I was working on. In in science, you know, like uh, where whereas they were working in media or you know or or arts. Uh, also, when 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 the movie about Alan Turing came out, uh, right, that was something that I heard also uh, people saying, "Wow, I mean, like we have seen you know uh, representations of gay people in 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 the media in uh, in." Uh, uh, in arts, but like uh, as a, a scientist, I haven't uh, 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 yet seen. And that was, and these are comments that I heard actually from gay people, right? So, um, do you think that the uh, the stereotype of uh, the gay person as a, a media arts person has been hurting us in in science uh, somehow? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm in the town where there's a lot of media, obviously, and <laughs> the entertainment industry's here, and I do have a lot of gay friends that work in it. And, you know, I don't think that's bad if that's what they want to do. Um, uh, yeah, I guess the, the question is, why why are we not making a bigger deal of our gay scientists, right? I often wonder this. So you see, you know, Out Magazine or something, and they're top 50 people under some age or whatever. And, you know, it's very rare that they actually have a scientist listed in that. You know, um, it will be mostly actors and actresses and things of that sort. And, you know, why not? Why, why shouldn't it be a scientist? Um, and maybe, once again, that's our own fault for not being as visible as we should be. Uh, or maybe we just need to push that um, and, and let people know that we're here and that this is something they can do. You know, for younger kids, I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get to young kids, you know, and, and let them know. I mean, I, I'm always very careful when we talk to younger audiences to make sure that they see that an astronomer doesn't have to be a white man an old white man with a beard and I have a beard. Um, and so often when I get inv invited to go, people want me to go talk to their kids. And I'm like, I'm happy to do that, but maybe you, I should take along, you know, one of my young female astronomers and, and show you something different so that these, that they, they understand that an astronomer isn't necessarily an old white guy. Um, and so the question is, how would you let them, those young folks know, you know, that you can be gay and do this. I, that's a lot harder, clearly. I, I don't know. Unless you identify yourself as being gay. Maybe, and maybe that's okay, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's tougher, yeah. right? I think yeah, one of my thoughts about that. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Cass, please. Oh, please, sorry. Just one of my thoughts about that. I, I've always wondered is when you when you work in the arts or in media, sort of so much of your personality and who you are kind of comes out and is expressed in your work. And you know, kind of the whole point in inverted commas of science is that your objective. We you know we know it's not true. Like we we know we have all of these biases, societal and otherwise. Um, but you kind of step back, you know. And I think you're you're the person conducting the work is kind of removed from the work in a way that you know a novelist or a director or whatever is not. Uh, I wonder how much that plays into it as well. 
Mm. Well, I was just going to say, I've, I sort of had a non-traditional path into science because I started as an actor, right? And I remember that, you know, and I started to, uh, you know, I came, came to science later. I think there were other barriers for me getting into science. What I always tell people is that I always thought that this was just kind of for geniuses. And I always knew that I wasn't a genius. And so I, I, that was sort of the barrier for me getting into science. I also didn't realize I was gay until uh, comparatively late. I think I was 15 or 16, whereas most people report knowing uh, earlier usually. Uh, but, but the arts and theater, I think to a certain extent, maybe we always know that we're a little different. And, uh, and art is kind of a, a natural sort of uh, avenue for a lot of us. I mean... It, it's, I, you know, I don't know if, if there's a dearth of uh, gay scientists, that maybe there are, or just that we, we really find uh, artistic endeavors particularly appealing. And that's why so, so many, um, you know, LGBT plus people uh, go into it as, a, as a, an expression of sort of capturing us as always knowing that we were different. And that sort of led us to do, make, you know, pursue these artistic paths. I don't know. It's also possible that there's an even number, you know, in, in the arts and in the sciences, but in the arts, it's a little bit more accepting and people are a bit more vocal about who they are. Whereas in science, you know, you might be a little bit more timid to, to share who you really are. And so it's possible that there's similar numbers and they're just, they're just more recognizable in, in the right. arts. To yeah, the the theater probably has an overabundance of extroverts, for example. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's got to be the case. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, I think we've kind of gone through our questions. Does anyone have any final thoughts? I'm glad you can close it up for us or whatever. Yeah, uh, thank you. It went great. And thank you, John. Thank you so much for, you know, being with us and to share your your views um and uh yeah no i think that we can uh, can bring the first episode of out in space to an end that's a great first one okay. cool yeah, yeah. And, uh, thanks for awesome. being with us john appreciate it yeah i appreciate thank you guys doing it it's a really good thing so thank you everyone for joining us we're out in space once again i'm alex glad i'm Cass, and i'm jody so thank you for joining us here in Outer Space. We want to thank our guests. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up and share. And we'll be joining you again with more LGBTQ plus astronomers here in the near future. That was Out in Space. Thank you. <laughs>